I grew up in in restaurants. My uh, my dad used to have a, a Chinese restaurant. After school, I would go there. I would do my homework there. I would learn how to cook there. All the waiters and everybody and the managers were my friends. You know, one of the things that I really focused on are financials. How do you build a scalable, sustainable, financially viable business? That's one. And then the other thing is also people. I think I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today um, if not for that music experience. It's just, for them, it's like, oh, wow, this is unique. I'm talking to a female founder. And what's good for us is they always remember us. Hi, I'm Amanda Kua, and this is One More Scoop. Here, we're sitting down with Southeast Asia's top founders, executives, and investors to have honest conversations about their personal journeys and find out what really happens behind the scenes. Today, I'm speaking with Kimberly Yao. Kim is a co-founder and CEO of Philippine-founded Cloud Eats, a multi-brand cloud kitchen active in the Philippines and Vietnam. Before Cloud Eats, she co-founded and exited her own on-demand liquor startup called Woozy. This episode's a shorter one than usual, but it's one of my favorites. It's packed with so much honesty and so much to learn. And especially if you're a female founder, you don't want to miss this. Hi, Kim. So nice to finally speak with you. Likewise. Very nice to... Uh, thank you for inviting me. Very nice to be here. I've seen you a couple of times all over LinkedIn and seen you in person, but yeah. I've never gotten to speak with you one-on-one. I heard about you when I first started working in the Southeast Asian startup scene. And I think personally, one of the questions I had was, how did you get into F&B? Because... I did a bit of research and I saw that you grew up in um, restaurants and you'd always been involved in F&B. But I think um, it's also different to decide to join an F&B business after your family had been involved with it. So did you always um, know you'd be an F&B entrepreneur? If yes, when did you realize that you wanted to join the space? Great question. You know, I think you never really intend on something. Um, in my case, it was more of I, I fell into it. And I think the opportunities that were in front of me were uh, luckily something that I'm quite passionate about, which is food, F&B in this case. Uh, so it just kind of fell into place. Uh, very lucky that I'm uh, involved in something that I know, something that I'm familiar with, something that I'm comfortable with, and something that I love. Uh, you're right. I, I grew up in, in restaurants. My, uh, my dad used to have a, a Chinese restaurant. Back in the day, after school, I would go there. Um, I would spend time there. I would do my homework there. I would learn how to cook there. All the waiters and everybody in the managers were my friends. So I just kind of feel very comfortable in that space. But obviously now times have changed and you know it's more of a technology play that we have, but still with that F&B foundation, which I think is much uh, due in the space. Uh, if you think about the F&B space, there's no digitalization that has really happened, no significant uh, you know, technology-based uh, innovations, apart from maybe McDonald's building the quick service restaurant, right? Yeah. <laughs> apart from that, uh, McDonald's being uh, introducing fast food to the world, it, it's been a um, very traditional industry. And I'm happy that, you know, we're, we're trailblazing. So when you graduated from university, I think you started working in F&B and you were working there from zero until you became an executive. How did you know that it was time to to be an entrepreneur. I know that you launched Boozy, which was a liquor startup 
that allowed you to deliver it on demand. And it started as a side hustle. When did you decide to go from side hustle to doing it full time? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, Amanda, as you grow up, you you know learn to understand what's important to you uh, and what's fluff, right? And for me at that point, what was important was to be able to control my future, um, to have more of a say, to have more of an impact. So it's like, what are my inputs and what are the outputs that that come out of that, right? And, you know, I, I think um, I was with the Palace Group for um, almost 10 years. I learned so much. Um, I think at that point in time, I uh, had done a lot of experimentation. I, you know, worked for... A couple of people who are mentoring me and who I really learned a lot from. And when you get to a point where your learning is capped, then you want to explore other things, right? I always tell myself and other people, if I'm the smartest person in the room, then I'm in the wrong room. I wouldn't want to be in that room because there's no growth for me, right? So I think I reached that point. That's why I wanted to do something on my own, start something entirely by myself. And that's a scary thing, right? When you're going from something very stable, very cyclical, very routine. You're very comfortable in this place. And then you uproot yourself and you put yourself in a place where it's scary. You are not sure about what you're doing. Uh, it, it sounds exciting, but at the same time, it, it's, there's also that fear that it might not work, right? But I think at that time, I really wanted to try it out. And um, thankfully, it worked really well. <laughs> I think for some people, they like to do their side hustles and turn them into full-time um full-time gigs when they see that the side hustle is very promising and I guess promising enough to to turn full-time. But when you decided to go all in on Boozy, would you say it was at a time where Boozy was, I guess, quite certain to become successful or really, really stable? Or do you think at the time you joined Boozy, it was still not certain that it would be more than a side hustle? Yeah, it was a side hustle for about um, the first year and a half of Boozy's life, right? Luckily, I had a couple of co-founders who contributed their time and effort as well. I think it became more of a real business that would be like a full-time opportunity for me when we uh, had our first uh, investor, right? Luckily for us, because the business was quite successful in, in that short period of time, uh, it, was a, it was a large uh, investor and they saw the potential. And at that point in time, because they had invested, there's a lot of uh, expectations right, that had to be met. So I had to go in full-time. Uh, I was the founder and CEO of Boozy for two years, from uh, 2017 to 2019. Yeah, and it was a great experience. I think I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't be where I am today um, if not for that Boozy experience. So at the time that they invested, that was also the time you decided to go full time, and it was, I guess, lucky that at the same time your career was also at the point where you felt like it was capping out in terms of your learning. That's right. I think you know timing worked really well. When you're in a comfortable place, but the learning is a bit capped, then you're looking for something new. And this happened to be there. It was the right time. Yeah, already there. <laughs> yeah. When you exited Boozy and then you started Cloud Leads, I think that was a very, very short period of time. I think it was about two, three months between exiting the company yes. and then starting your own company. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of transition that happens between you know your first company and your second company. There are lots of mistakes made. Were there certain things that you learned from Boozy that you told yourself, okay, when I do this new company, I won't do this or I will do this? Were there certain things like that for you? Yeah, definitely. You know, when you're a commercial-minded startup founder, 
you think about marketing, you think about operations, you think about sales, right? These are the naturally, they're the sexy parts of the business, right? Um, and that's really where I focused on when I was in Boozy. Um, yeah. But as the years progressed, uh, I also evolved as a founder. And I think that you know, one of the things that I really focused on are financials. So finances, right? How do you build a scalable, sustainable, financially viable business? That's one. And then the other thing is also people, right? Uh, or, or, or people in culture. I think the latter one is something that not many founders uh, would have experienced, and especially young founders, right? Uh, for yeah. them, it's like, oh, now I have to hire a hundred people. What do I do? Like, like, who helps me in culture building? Who helps me in talent management and performance management? These are things that they don't teach you in school, sadly, right? They should actually. But these are things that can make or break a business. And uh, people plus uh, your financial sustainability is something that I think I, I learned a lot from in Muzi, and I applied that coming into cloud needs right so you know i right before this um this podcast session i was interviewing uh somebody for hr director for us and he was surprised at how much we have gained ground on in terms of our uh, functions in hr he said oh you have all of the functions in hr and for a startup that's three years old i'm surprised and i told him yeah because in my previous startup this is the kind of stuff that you forgot about (laughs) that i didn't focus on and then now you want to iterate and make sure that you don't forget about it right and at the end of the day people are your greatest asset so that's something that is my theme for this year it's really people and culture development i think you also mentioned in another podcast that i think you mentioned that you wanted to scale yourself a lot when you started cloud eats and that it's been one of the main things that you've learned as well from growing boozy I think one thing I was curious about is how did you scale yourself? I think there are lots of options available in the market now. Some people like to go to like trainings, they get a coach, but how did you actually scale yourself? Yeah, I think there's two ways, right? Internal and external. So you're right. Um, externally, um, you can get a coach. And I've done that starting Q4 of last year. Uh, so us as a company, we've been exposed to uh, professional coaching sessions Incidentally, that coach also works with me on, on a personal level. And I think it's just very eye-opening because I, I'm on autopilot a lot, right? And that's one of my goals for this year is to stop being on autopilot. But when you're on autopilot, it's like everything falls into place how you think it's supposed to be, but you don't look outside of that. So step one to 10, I'm like, okay, I got it. Step one to 10 is easy for me. But was that the best approach? Could we have done it better? Could we have done it faster, right? And that's, that's one of the things that you know I've been working on this year, me and the team. Internally, how do I scale up? I think it's more about being very open to learn. And you know, I'm one of the people when I was younger, I had a big ego. It's like I didn't want people to tell me what to do. I guess it's a very normal, natural human reaction, right? When you're younger. And the older I get, or sorry, the more mature I get, the more I realize that. It's better to accept that you don't learn, you don't know anything, and you want to learn rather than pretend that you're the best at everything, right? Which is, I think, the the reverse way of going at it. So, you know, in general, I've had to become a different CEO at different points in my career. In the beginning, 2019, 2020, I had to do everything myself, right? Yeah. Payments, sourcing, recruitment. I still that I still do that today, but. Uh, anyway, you get the point. Everything had to be done and touched by, by me or else nothing would move, right? And then once you hire better people, senior leadership team, then it becomes about management, right? How do you manage the managers? 
How do you inspire the managers? How do you help them find their purpose? Right. And, and you become a different uh, CEO. You become a different kind of founder as your team builds up and as your business grows as well. And I think I'm still in that journey. I, I don't think I've become the most ideal version of myself that I can become. Hopefully this year, I, I, I there's three things that I wanted to work on this year. And hopefully I, I get at least two out of three become a habit. What's your stage now? I think you said before that you wanted to be sort of a motivator now. And how does mm-hmm. that look like? Yeah, I think it's a motivator and inspiration, right? We have over 650 people across two markets. And just by virtue of time or time available, I don't have an opportunity to uh, touch base with every single one of them, right? So we've built layers in the business and uh, touch points with senior leadership, uh, with senior managers that I, uh, that I work around. Yeah, I think inspiration is about allowing people to find their own purpose, right? Whether it's purpose professionally or personally, um, sometimes it's a mix of both. Most times it's also actually a synergy, right? I think Jeff Bezos said this the other day, work-life balance is not something that he believes in, but it's a work-life synergy because really, you know, work is life and life is work and you need to be able to find a synergy between that and not a balance, right? And I, I do believe that. I think that it's, it's important for you to understand why you're doing things. So me as a leader, it's always something that I think about consciously instead of just telling people what, what we need to do, what we need to achieve, what our goals are. It's also important to focus on the why, right? If they understand why, then you get their buy-in and you uh, connect the pieces together more. And I think that you you help people become uh, better at their performance as well. And since you ask a lot of your team members about what their why is, how about you? Like, what's your why nowadays? Has that changed since you started Boozy? Or is that different this year versus last year? Yeah, it always changes, Amanda. Uh, good question. You know, before the why is you want, you want to be successful, right? But then the measures of success and how successful you want to be changes over time, right? It's like for people who are uh, looking to become rich, right? Is $1 million enough? Maybe not. After you reach $1 million, now it's $10 million. Now it's $100 million, right? And that evolves over time. I think for me, what's really become something that I that I wanted to champion is women entrepreneurship and women leadership, especially in emerging markets like Philippines, right? Here, you, you're, you're one of our female founders, women entrepreneurs, and it's very rare if you ask me, right? So I try to spend as much time as I can helping other females gain confidence and gain uh, security about what they're doing. Because a lot of a lot of us are insecure, even me. Like if you ask me what are my insecurities, there are a few, right? And that's another topic for another time. But I think there's just not enough help and support for for us, uh, for, for women leaders. And that's something that I would like to change. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar, but recently we we got into the Endeavor Network as well, right? And one of the things they told me was that, you you know, you're one of a handful of female uh, Endeavor entrepreneurs in the Philippines, and we want you to help other women uh, gain confidence to start their own businesses as well, right? Because they know that you're there to help them, whether it's capital, advice, you know, anything, helping them with their deck or whatever it is. It's something that's, that's quite important for our country. And since you mentioned like difficulties for, for female founders, I also want to ask, like, what have been the most difficult parts of building your career? Were they specific to you as a whole, like being a female founder? Or are these also just like, in general, outside of being a female founder, like, what are the difficulties as well? 
I think one of the difficulties, and this is a bit of a sensitive topic, right? But happy to share it with you is I'm not as young as you. I'm in my mid to late 30s and I haven't had a chance to start a family, right? And as a female, uh, you know, there's a ticking, uh, there's a ticking clock basically. And especially now at this stage in my career, I'm so focused on work. I'm so focused on what we want to achieve. And that doesn't give me in my mind enough time to start a family. So I think that's one of the things I had to give up, right? So I don't know if you have a follow-up question to that, but uh, it's it's a bit of a sensitive topic for me. I think that it's one of the things that I've always wanted, but couldn't devote enough time and, and effort to. So there. Is the pressure on that side, like mostly on yourself, or do you feel that more from like external parties? <laughs> um, so it starts externally. And then because of the frequent external pressure, then it starts simmering within, right? Then it becomes an internal pressure. Every year, oh, your 35th birthday, 36th birthday, then you're like, hmm, I'm getting closer to the 40 mark. And, <laughs> and it's not something that goes backward in time, right? You only move forward when you age. So I think it's a... I think I'll come to a point in the next couple of years where I'll just say, look, it's either now or never. And let's see, hopefully at the time, you know, we are in a much uh, better place and uh, it's something that will uh, be an opportunity for me. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think now like thinking about it, I've been seeing a lot of, for example, advertisements, even for example, on Facebook or even outside where I see like advertisements of like egg freezing or IVF and all of these things. It is. I, I, and it I froze don't know if it's related to that. Oh, really? Yeah. I did. I froze my eggs in 2021. 2021. It was during the pandemic. So we were working from home. I had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to do the treatment. So, and, and you're right. I think it's related to that. It's because women now have more opportunities uh, professionally. You know, there's more attention there's more capital even in venture capital is going to women so they have all of this opportunity to do something with it and that means having to put on pause or hold their plans for their personal life right and i don't think there's any shame in talking about it i think it's just the way it is it's great that they have these alternative options for for women now uh it's basically like my backup plan right so i bought myself a backup plan and it's just there in in the hospital waiting there. So <laughs> uh, I, I think it's a great opportunity for women to do that. I think the best thing is like choice. You get to do it when you want to in whatever yeah. way you want to and whenever yes. you want to. Growing up, yeah. I saw a lot of advertisements as well for like, I think one of the most interesting advertisements I saw like growing up as somebody who was a female and also wanted to start a career, I saw an advertisement before. I forgot if it was SK2 or Shiseido where they... Mm-hmm talked about an expiry date on women yeah and I think I remember that really vividly until now and I feel like one of the things that I discuss with people myself is that as a female founder I feel like I am lucky to be young because I don't have all of these liabilities and like pressures mm-hmm. for example and like having to start a family or supporting a family but at the same time it, I don't think it should be like a pro or con right at the end of the day I feel like we should all have the choice you're absolutely right. I don't think that it should be a pro or a con, although unfortunately and sadly, um, to many external parties, it is a con, right? The fact that you're a female founder raising money, you know, I get asked questions that my male founder, co-founder doesn't get asked. And it's, if you think about it, it, it feels strange in the beginning. Also, why am I being asked about 
you know, my marital status or if I have children, obviously he's not going to get asked that because he's a, he's a man, right? It doesn't matter if he has kids, but for me, it matters if I have children. And I think that it's still there, the gender biases. It's not something intentional, but it's the way that we're brought up, right? Um, especially in Asian cultures, women are, uh, you know, matriarchs. Women take care of the family, right? I think it's a little bit different now in Europe, um, especially in like Scandinavian countries. Women are so empowered. Uh, they have roles in government. In the Philippines, we can't even elect a female president. Well, not since, you know, the last one. So uh, I think it's very different um, how women are in, in our society. And it's sad, but I think it's progressing and it's up to people like us. It's up to uh, leaders like us to help uh, to help with this uh, messaging. Yeah, and I think that in my experience, I feel like people are also not as used to speaking with female founders or p- female stakeholders in the ecosystem. I've noticed a few subtleties in sort of the way that people talk. And I feel like a lot of it is not intentional. It's just that it's very rare for them, I guess, to beat women. <laughs> yep, I agree. It's not intentional. It's just for them, it's like, oh, wow, this is unique. I'm talking to a female founder. And what's good for us is they always remember us, right? Because among like the whole list of people that they talk to in a day, probably like 95% male. And then there's like, you know, a handful of women. So they always remember, oh, it was, it was that girl. Oh, it was her. I remember her. <laughs> so again, it's pros and it's cons, right? I, so it's about turning the pros into like more opportunity for us. So I don't mind. And outside of like being a female founder, what are the other challenges that you've faced either now or in the past as a founder? I think, you know, like Jeff Bezos was talking about, right, work-life balance. Um, I've had many burnout um, situations that obviously I've, I've overcome, right? But, and I've learned how to deal with stress better throughout the years, but it's always still that, thought you know at the top of my head that there's uh, 650 and counting families who rely on you on myself to make good decisions every day right and in order to be at the top of your game then you need time to rest you need time to recover you need time for yourself you need time just to sit and reflect and that's not time that we have the luxury of right as founders it's 24-7, 365 days a year. <laughs> uh, it literally never ends. So for me, like quiet time, time to think uh, is something very precious. And I think just the advice for any fa- founders or would-be founders out there is you need to learn how to have time for yourself and time separate from the functional things and technical things that you need to do. Um, because that's a time where you regenerate and you have your best ideas. So for me, for example, when I'm in the shower, I don't think of anything. And that's when I start thinking of these crazy ideas. So shower time is me time. <laughs> so how do I replicate that and create more moments during the day when you can just pause, take a breath and think of something that's innovative. Think of something that's outside the box. And I think creating those moments, um, you know, will help me become a better founder. What did the times of sort of burnout and anxiety look like? How would you see it in yourself? And maybe this would help, this would help other people who may or may not realize that they're experiencing sort of burnout and anxiety in their own careers. Yeah, that's just a great way of framing it. Um, because you're right, we don't normally realize that we're already in this like panic situation or we're already in an anxiety situation until it's too late. Right. And I think for me, the times that I really got very anxious or had a very um, difficult time was when I started making rash, emotional and uh, unclear decisions, right? It's like, okay, there's a list of things that you need to do one to 20. And in order to start taking off things, you just say, okay, no, yes, 
and then you start creating random decisions that don't benefit anybody, right? And when you look at it again, then you think to yourself, if I had five or 10 more minutes of time to think about that, I could have had a better decision. But because of uh, the barrage of tickets, it's like you're a call center agent and there's so many tickets open and you just want to close all of them. It's like you want to get rid of all of them, right? And and I think, um, you know, that's when I realized that it's better to make an informed uh, decision. Quick, quick is fine. Speed is, speed is good, right? Rather than, uh, you know, making a decision that you don't have visibility on. So I think, um, you know, one of the uh, anxiety inducing things for me is when there's so many things to do. So now I compartmentalize my day, right? So I, I give myself quiet time. So if you look at my calendar, it is full, but there's time spent for me time. Like I don't allow anybody to book um, from this time to this time because I just want to you know, be with myself and in my thoughts. Is that blocked off time the same time every day or is that a few times a week? <laughs> so the blocked off time is there, but it changes depending on who needs me at what time, which is a bad thing. So I should really make it more of a <laughs> habit. I don't eat lunch actually. So my me time is more of like my lunch time. So when everybody's out for lunch or you know having lunch in the pantry, it, it's my time to just collect my thoughts and uh, you know be in my own world, basically. So usually 12 to 1 is my me time. I don't think the F&B industry really takes breaks. I would say that some founders get to take a break on the weekends because, you know, there's less work. But I think more people order on weekends. So what do your weekends look like? (laughs) Our kitchens run 24-7, 364 days a year, pretty much. So we never shut down, right? And you're right. When it's um, holidays, F&B is there anytime, actually. I guess it's the good thing because the demand is sustained the demand is not seasonal it's just it's just everybody eats all the time um so what do my weekends look like well we don't really have uh, the corporate offices closed during the weekends i think that's something that we wanted to give to our team um, but obviously as we um, work remotely we work as needed uh, although if we finish everything on the weekdays then then we're good the weekends are uh, quiet time uh, i usually spend that time with uh, family friends very cliche not super exciting um <laughs> yeah i think it's just a lot of rest i like to read also obviously netflix is also up there uh, just a lot of um uh, zoning out time and nothing to do with with you know, having to make critical decisions so that when i do have to make a critical decision i'm refreshed I think you also mentioned that you like cooking also on the weekends and that helps you deal yeah. with burnout. So you do cooking, reading, and Netflix. Is there anything else that you do? Do you have like any hobbies? I used to cook more before. Now, I don't know. I need to get back. So thanks for the reminder. Uh, I used to be bake- <laughs> baking was my thing because baking is like more of scientific, right? It's like yeah. um, I used to make these French mac- macarons, you know, the the ones that like puff up. and. Yeah. I remember there was a maybe three or four month period in the office where every Monday and like two two times a week, I would bring macarons in, um, whether they're flattened or they didn't come out the way I wanted until I finally made the perfect macaron. And then after that, I forgot about it. So I haven't made macarons since that time. Right? So it's a good reminder. Thank you for reminding me about the cooking. Yeah, I guess for me, because I'm curious, yeah. because... On weekends, I either try to do something mindless, like watching Netflix or something similar. Yeah, that's or I try to do something. <laughs> I yeah. try to do something extra mindful. Like I think when you mentioned baking, it needs hundred percent of your yeah. mind because it's so scientific. Mm-hmm. For me, yeah. I try to do something that takes up my whole mind or mind something mindless. Apart from like baking, cooking, reading, is there anything else that you do? 
Yeah, I started um, um, working out more uh, lately towards the end of last year. CrossFit is something I've been uh, had the privilege of uh, experiencing. I think that when you take care of your body, you also take care of your mind and you take care of um, your future in that sense. So it's like very big words, but I think us as founders, the last thing we think about is, is, you know, us because you're thinking about everyone else. But I think it's so important to also understand what you need, what your body needs, what's good for you, what's not good for you. And for me, working out more intentionally has been very helpful throughout the last couple of months. And I, I guess like when you're not working or working on the weekends and holidays, is there any gu- guideline that you set for yourself? Like, okay, if I work on a weekend, I should only work for a certain period of time or do you just take it as it goes? I'm bad at this. So I always just take it as it goes. I should be a little bit more routine, but to be honest, like you would find me on Sunday evening, emailing investors. You would find me on, I don't know, Saturday morning doing a performance. Evaluation. So it's kind of a little bit ad hoc. Um, it depends how I feel actually. And I'm very sensitive to what I feel. If I'm not in the right state of mind, I don't try to do something that's critical or something very important because I know I wouldn't be able to do it with as much uh, effort as is needed. So it's more of um, the base on my on my mood, I guess, on base on my energy. I think you also mentioned before that you're a workaholic and then that you've sort of built your life around the dream dependent on your success as a business owner. I honestly don't have much of a question about that, but I feel like it was one of the statements that I heard from you slash read from you that really stuck in my mind. Like when you build your whole life around the dream dependent on your success as a business owner, I think that said a lot about you and the way that you take your work. I think it shows that you, it's core to your why and the core to who you are as a person. Why do you feel like um, working and business means so much to you? I think that, you know, my success is as a person is reliant on my success as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, um, as, as a woman leader. And I merge those two concepts together very closely. So how I succeed in business dictates in my mind how I succeed as a person as well, right? I think this is coming a lot from my, from my, from my parents, my, my father particularly, right? He always took things personally, whether it was work or whether it was you know, from friends. Everything was personal to him because that's who he is. That's how he is as a person. And I've also taken that from me today. If someone tells me, oh, don't take this personal, but blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, okay, I just took it really very personally. <laughs> You know, most people have this disclaimer, right? Before they tell you, hey, don't take this personally. It's just work, but yeah. here's my feedback, right? And for me, I take all of this very personally because it is who I am, right? My actions emanate from who I am as a person and, and uh, vice versa. So I think that you know, I, I'm, a, I'm not saying I'm a serious person. It's just that I take things uh, quite seriously. And I think there's, there's some uh, pros and cons, but I think overall it's helped me to get where I am today. And I think like it means that your work is very core. I, I think for me, one of the reasons why this stuck to me was I think I also tried to take a lot of my work into my life and other people tell me like, why do you care so much? Or why do you enjoy working on the weekend? So it's just hard to to explain. But I feel like you have had a lot more years of reflecting than me. No, it's right. It's hard to explain. Um... <laughs> have you found an answer? <laughs> I haven't found an answer. Um I don't think there's an answer. I think if anything, there's more questions that will pop up, right? How much do I care? Up to what point are you willing to sacrifice? And there's no real, there's no real answer. I think if anything, 
you, know, you dig deeper and you get more questions. At the end of the day, I think if you love what you do and you know, it doesn't seem like work in that sense, that's one of the things that I really uh, try to champion and try to tell people, hey, if you want to start a business, you need to love, you need to love it. You need to love it every single day. And I'm very lucky that it's something that I really love. So if you ask me, hey, do you love your job? Yeah, I mean, for me, the answers are resounding yes. And I'm not sure how many people will give you that resounding yes answer when you ask 100 people, right? Probably, what, a handful. Um, so I guess in that sense, I'm quite lucky uh, to be able to love uh, something that I do every day. And you're also very lucky to still love it after being in the same industry for how many years and running a startup for over just two years? <laughs> uh, it feels new, to be honest. So the company, Cloudy, Cloudy has been around for three and a half, almost four years. Uh, it feels shorter, if you ask me. It feels like our really? first office in that crappy building in JP Rizal was like yesterday. I can still <laughs> smell the, the, the weird smell there. I can still remember <laughs> my flimsy table that was falling, falling down. And, you know, things just move really fast. And I'm very thankful for it. Well, I've really enjoyed like speaking to you and for all of the things that you've shared. Really thank you. But... To end this, I guess I wanted to ask you the same question I ask everybody uh, I'm speaking to, which is outside of work, what's one thing that you want to accomplish with your personal life? This has this doesn't have to be something that you want to accomplish this week, this month, or in the first quarter of the year. But regardless of the time yeah. it is, um, what's what's one thing you want to accomplish outside of yeah, work? This it's year? something very personal to me, something I already shared with you is to start a family, right? Now I don't know when that is gonna happen and don't ask me because the answer is I don't know. Um, but hopefully <laughs> sometime, you know, in the next couple of years. Hopefully I'm not too old when that time comes, right? Or maybe that time isn't going to come unless I make it happen. I don't know. So anyway, I uh, I have my backup plan that's there. We can activate that anytime. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I think um, that's one of the things that I think would make me feel more complete. Well, thank you so much, Kim. Thank you for the time and thank you for everything that you shared. Really appreciate everything. As well, Amanda. Thank you.